Today, we are going to be continuing on the, um, in our five-week series on the book of 2 Peter. Just so you know, Daniel, there is nothing on here, and let's screen down here. But uh, we're going to be continuing on 2 Peter. Uh, last week, I started with chapter 1, verses um, 1 through 11. This week, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 21. But before we do, let me just remind us all a little bit here about last week in verses 1 through 11, um, because that's really important and foundational for what we're going to be talking about today as well. The purpose there, what Peter told us was that God has given us divine power, and this divine power is sufficient for us. It is everything that we need, not only for eternal life, but to be able to live a godly life. He has given us everything we need through his divine power for eternal life and to be able to live a godly life now. Everything that we need. We lack nothing. But uh, that power comes to us through two means. The first is through the knowledge of Christ. This power is available to you if you are a Christian. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he died upon the cross, and on the third day he rose from the dead, you become adopted as a child of God. And this divine power is available to you. It begins with the knowledge of God, with the knowledge of Christ. But it doesn't just end with knowledge. We don't just go, oh, I believed in Jesus. You know, I walked up to the front during that altar call in middle school or in high school or in your fifth grade, whenever it was or maybe last week, um, it doesn't just end there with that knowledge, but it's about holding on to God's precious and very great promises. The Bible, the word of God that has these promises. It's about knowing these promises and taking a hold of them and praying for them and, and saying, I'm gonna walk in these promises that God has given and, and as you walk in those promises, as you basically take God at his word, you experience the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, moving through you. And God bringing those promises into fulfillment in your life and for our church and in this world. That's what Peter is talking about here. We have everything that we need. If you're a Christian, you have access to that divine power. But doesn't work if it's just head knowledge. It's about reading and knowing the promises of God and walking in them and saying, I'm going to trust the word of God. I'm going to try this. I'm going to take God at his word, and you will experience the power of God working. Now, this is, you know, he, he goes on here, as we talked about last week, he makes this really clear when he says we need to supplement our faith. We need to supplement our faith. Just like he said before, faith alone, knowledge alone is not enough. But we need, um, we need virtue, we need knowledge, we need self-control. We need all of these other things added onto our faith. In other words, faith is not static. It doesn't just float there. If we think that that's what faith is, the current of this world 
the current from the influence of the devil, the current from our own flesh, our own sinful nature, is constantly pulling us away from God. It's constantly pulling us out to sea. And if we are not aware of that, before you know it, we'll be like, how did I end up two miles away from shore floating on this inflatable unicorn out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? How did this happen? Well, it's because we're constantly drifting in the world. The current of the world is constantly pulling us away from God. We need to swim, in fact, just to stay in the same place. And if we think we can just float there with our faith, we will drift and drift and drift. That's why we need to supplement our faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control. And these things come when we know the promises of God and we walk in them. This is why we never judge a person's faith by what he says he believes, but by how hard he's swimming. How hard someone is swimming is, is proof that the power of God is at work in that person. Again, it's not his or her own power that enables them to be able to live for God. It's God's power. Peter has made that clear. It's God's divine power but we need to see that power at work. And we see it when they're swimming hard for the kingdom of God. That's how Peter starts off his book, his, his, his second letter here. And today we're gonna be diving into verses 12 through 21. Um, let's look here first at verses 12 through 15, and we will see why it's so important um, also that I just recounted what happened last week. It says here, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter here, um, he's basically making a kind of a defense uh, in some ways where he's letting the people know why he reminded them of the things that he did in verses 1 through 11. Basically what I just reminded you of before getting into today's passage, what happened last week. Peter tells the people that not only is he going to remind them of these things about how important it is to take God's word and to live it out, to swim hard towards God, but he says that he's going to remind these things to the people again and again and again. He said, um, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, of these things. And not only that, but the interesting thing is that these are things that these people already know. Peter said here that I'm going to remind you of these things, even though you know them, not only do they know them, but Peter says that they're established in the truth, which means that these aren't just baby Christians. These are people who've known the word of God for a while now. Um, some of them may be very faithful, devoted disciples of Christ. So the thing is, why is Peter reminding them? Why is he making so much effort to remind them of these things that they already know? And th these are not 
these are not newborn Christians here. Well, the reason is because these things were too important to forget. They were far too important to leave to chance to be forgotten. Peter's saying, you must always remember this. Christian life is not just knowledge. It is living out the word of God. That's how we experience God's power to be able to escape corruption and to be able to live a godly life. If you don't sit down and read the Bible and live it out and say, I'm going to trust in God's word, you're going to float away from God again and again and again. This is too important for the people to forget. Eternity was at stake. You know, this past week, I got a really, um, I got a really, I got a phone call that no parent wants to get. Um, I, I was driving Noah home from school. I picked him up and I, I, I was driving home. And then I, get, I, I come home and I expect to see Christine and Audrey there, my, my wife and daughter. And they should have been home by that time. And as I'm home, uh, I'm like, oh, where'd they go? I guess Christine took her out to, you know, to go do something fun or maybe go to the bookstore or I don't know, go somewhere. And then Christine calls me and she goes, Ulysses, I want you to know Audrey's okay, but she was hit by a car. She's biking home and she got hit by a car. And I was, I was just like, I was quiet. <laughs> she was like, hello. I was like, um, yes, I'm here. Tell me more. Uh, thankfully, Audrey's okay. Some bumps and bruises, but she's okay. But uh, Christine, just a little bit earlier, got the same call from Audrey. But Audrey's so mature. Man, she's so awesome. She called her mom up and said, Mom, I'm okay. But I got hit by a car. I was like, what? What happened? And basically, her and her friend were on their bike and at a stop sign. And this um, other driver, this woman was in her car at the stop sign as well. And apparently, she said she couldn't see because of the glare of the sun. And then they drove and, and they rode at the same time and the woman hit Audrey's friend and then Audrey's friend knocked Audrey over and both of them were on the ground and they got these bumps and these bruises and stuff like they're okay, bumps and bruises, but crazy, crazy week for us. Um, you know, biking is, you know, it was like one of those things I thought about as a parent, man, my kid bikes to school now. Gosh, you know, they gotta be so careful, right? I, you know, there are so many cars out there, so much traffic. And I'm telling you this story because, you know, every morning when I send Audrey off, when I say goodbye to her at our house and, and she takes the bike and she, she drives off, um, I always tell her, Audrey, watch out for the blind curve. Now, if you've ever been over my house, you know, we live right at this blind curve and there's so much foliage and there's this hedge and all this stuff and nobody can see around it. So a lot of times because cars can't see them around it, they come speeding around that curve. And they can't see what's behind there, including maybe a kid on a bike. So I always tell Audrey, I said, Audrey, as soon as you go down into the street, bike to the far side of the street. And then so you go with traffic. You never know what's coming around this blind curve. And I do it every time. <laughs> every time I send her off, I say it again and again and again. And Audrey's really patient with me. She's really nice. But she goes, Dad, I always do that. I know, I know. It's like, why are you reminding me of this? And I, I feel like, oh, I've become my parents. You know, you remember when your parents used to tell you to do something again and again and again? You're like, why do you keep telling this to me? Now I understand why. Because it's too important. 
There is too much at stake. Audrey, go to the far side of the road. You never know what might be coming around. I don't ever want you to forget this because this is too important. I think that's Peter's heart here. Look, Peter, he even said the, um, he knew that he was about to die. He said here, I know the putting off of my body will be soon. That's basically poetic language to say, I'm going to die soon. And Jesus somehow made that clear to Peter through some type of revelation or maybe a prophecy or something. Peter knew he was going to die soon. What did this man do with the remaining time of his life? I don't, you know, maybe he had a couple of years, maybe he had a month. I don't know if he knew how much time he had left. What did he devote himself to doing? To reminding us. Don't ever forget that if you want to make it in Christian life, it's not just knowledge. You need to know the word of God and you need to meditate upon those promises and you need to put them into action. And Peter said, I will remind you of this again and again and again until that day that I am taken away. This is how important it is to know the word of God, his precious and great promises, and to live them out. Peter goes on here in verse 16 through 19. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Let me stop there um, for a moment here. What is Peter saying here? Peter is telling his readers, um, look, the word of God, it is so important and it's so trustworthy. That, that's his line of thinking. You know, this connects with what's earlier. Now, I'm going to explain why. Now, he gets him to hear this argument where he says, look, you know, Jesus, I, he starts telling the story about Matthew chapter 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John went up onto a mountaintop area with Jesus, and it says that Jesus' clothes were transformed and it became white, so white, like nobody on earth could bleach them, like with this, this, this radiance about it. And when they were up there, they saw this, not only this glory of Jesus, but they heard God the Father speaking, saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And he doesn't talk about it here in 2 Peter, but if you'll remember, they also saw Moses and Elijah up there on, on the mountaintop. How do they know it was them? I don't know. Maybe it's like us. We have name tags here, right? Moses and Elijah or something or another. But they knew that it was Moses and Elijah. They had this incredible experience of the glory of Jesus Christ. And this was an experience that stuck with Peter. Peter's an old man by now. Many years had passed. But I think for him, this experience on the mountaintop was like as if it happened yesterday. So Peter is saying here, now, what does this have to do with um, the rest of the passage here? Oh. 
Click. Click. Okay, there we go. Let me see if, if I've got control. There we go. In verse 19, it says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Now, there's a couple of ways to potentially interpret this, and you might have discussed this in your, in your community groups earlier this week, but this is what I think Peter means by this. What he's saying is, you know, in the Old Testament, there were all these prophecies, and all of these prophecies were talking about how one day the Messiah would come, and he would come and save us from our sins. He would deliver us from the power of sin. He would deliver us from our enemies. Do you remember all those prophets and prophecies of the Old Testament? Well, listen, brothers and sisters. I saw the Messiah that they were talking about. I saw Jesus in his glory. The words of these prophets were confirmed because I saw Jesus in this incredible radiance and I heard God the Father speaking. He indeed is the Messiah. The word of God, the word of God's always been the word of God. It's always the truth, regardless of whether we believe it or not. But Peter is saying, it's even more confirmed for me now because I actually saw the fulfillment of it. I saw the Messiah that they talked about in his glory. And he is going to come again in that same glory with his angels. He will come once again for us. And so Peter is saying, this is why the word of God, the prophetic word, the promises, the very precious and great promises of the Bible are so important. They've even been confirmed. We need to live by them to experience the divine power of God. But now if you, you know, being very intelligent people living here in the Bay Area, very cosmopolitan, cultured people, um, I, I'm sure, you know, we may have that skeptical side of us that would say, well, why in the world should I believe Peter? Why should I believe that what happened in the Bible, what Peter is writing here, actually happened. Just because he said it happened? Because he said he saw Jesus on the mountaintop? Why should I believe that? That's a really good question, right? That's a very Bay Area question. I'm from New York. That's also a very New York skeptical type of question. Well, let me answer this in two ways. The first one is I would say this, and this is kind of more foundational philosophical thing. How do we know anything that happened in the ancient world? How do we know anything that happened a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago? Can we pull up the video that shows us what Caesar did or what Genghis Khan did or, or what this king or, or what happened historically in, in China or Africa or anywhere else? There's no videotape. How do we know anything that happened in the ancient world? Well, the majority of our history comes to us because it was written down. Somebody wrote it down. Somebody saw a war and experienced it and wrote it down and said, historically, this is what happened. And you know what? You know what we do with those things? You know what we call those accounts? History. History. We oftentimes accept these things as having happened as history because that's the only way we know anything about the ancient world. And here Peter is, 
with an eyewitness account for us of what he experienced. And not just Peter, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these other people who wrote these gospels, who wrote this history for us of what took place. Why don't we believe them as well? Well, maybe our tendency is when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to Jesus, anything related to maybe God, we consider it a myth. That's not real. My point is this, brothers and sisters, maybe there's a tendency for us to, to just, for people who aren't Christians, to bake in an anti-supernatural, anti-theological bias into their view of history, into what actually happened. Maybe the presupposition is that if it's spiritual, if it's supernatural, if it has to do with the divine, it can't really be history. That's the myth stuff. But the other stuff... Wars and kings and inventions and this and that, that's all actually history. When that stuff gets written down, that's history. Do we already have a bias built in? Now, the second thing about this is, why should we believe Peter when he, saw, when he says he saw Jesus in this way? Is this, and I'd ask the question this way, who would die for a lie? Would any of you be willing to die for a lie? We know that Peter, um, this was his second epistle. This is the last thing he wrote. And within probably a couple of years, he died under um, Nero's persecution of Christians in, in Rome. Rampant, rampant persecution. And he was martyred for his faith. He went to the grave. He died believing in Jesus, refusing to recant his faith. Not only Peter, but 11 out of the 12 apostles, 11 out of the 12 disciples of Jesus were martyred, were killed for their faith as well. The 12th, John, was exiled to the island of Patmos, away from his family, friends, his personal belongings, all of those things. Uh, the apostle Paul, who wrote so much in the New Testament, he died probably in Rome. He was killed as well for his faith because one day, on the Damascus road, he saw a vision of Jesus. And he believed it, that he was God, and he was willing to die for it. Friends, the question is, who would die for a lie? I don't know about you, but if, if I thought that the whole thing was a lie, if, if I were Peter and I were making the whole thing up, man, and they tied me to the stake and they're about to set it on fire and burn me at the stake... You know, as soon as that guy lights that match, I'd probably be like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on a second, guys. You got me. <laughs> it was a joke. It was a joke. It was a bad joke. It was a lie. I admit it. I admit it. You got me. Okay, okay. Let's just, let's just put out that match. That's what I would do. Because why would I give my life? Why would I die for a lie? There's no point in that. Now, you may, you may be sitting there and thinking, well, you know, many people out there have died for their religion, whatever religion it may be. There are so many people out there willing to die for a religion or for a God. Ulysses, that's nothing new. That, that's true. That's a good point. But the majority of those people heard about their God from somebody else. It was passed down to them. And... Maybe it was passed down very convincingly. For whatever reason, they came to believe it 
And they believed deep in their heart to the point where they were willing to die for it. The difference with Peter and James and John and these people is that they were hanging out with Jesus for three and a half years. They didn't receive this knowledge from somebody else. Somebody else didn't say, Jesus is God, you should believe in him because there will be heaven and eternal life and you should be willing to even give your own life to follow Jesus. And they said, yeah, that makes sense. I'm willing to do that. These guys were hanging out with Jesus for three and a half years. So if Jesus was a charlatan, they would have known. And why would they die for a charlatan? Friends, whatever they saw for three and a half years was so powerful was so convincing to them that they were beheaded, that they were tortured, that they were crucified, that they were martyred for those things. Maybe they were fooled, some people might say. But, you know, think about the things that they wrote about that they saw. They said they saw Jesus raising people from the dead, restoring shriveled limbs, curing leprosy instantaneously, calming a storm, walking on water. Think about the countless miracles that they said that they saw Jesus do. So either these people are liars and they were willing to die for a lie, which I don't think could be true, or Jesus was the greatest illusionist ever and fooled people for three and a half years, or he was the son of God. And what Peter saw on that mountaintop was real, so real that he was willing to die for it. Brothers and sisters, friends, would you die for a lie? Peter was willing to die because he knew that the word that the prophets had written was true. He saw it fulfilled in Jesus on the mountaintop and he was willing to give his life for it. That's the word of God that we have before us. Peter's saying it's because of this. Not only is it the word of God, but I saw it fulfilled. That's why there's such precious and great promises. Hold on to them, walk in them, and swim like crazy towards the kingdom of God. Last section here. As we continue on in, in verse 19, let me just read verse 19 again here and uh, go on to 21. It says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, um, this passage here in the Bible is uh, probably a couple of the, the most important verses that you can read in the Bible about the Bible. Uh, what does it say? It says that the Bible is not just something that human beings have written that came up from the minds of people that were things, ideas that they made up, but these are actually the words of God. The Bible that you hold in your hand, the Bible that you download onto your phone is actually the very words of God. And what God did was that as people were writing, the Holy Spirit 
was writing through these people. And, um, you know, to illustrate, I have in my hand here, I have a broad tip red Sharpie. Um, now, if I take this broad tip red Sharpie and I start writing, it's going to, you know, it's going to look very thick. It's going to look very inky. It's going to be a very bright red. And, and that's the way it's going to look when I write with this Sharpie. Now, here I have a blue ballpoint pen. Now, if I write with this pen instead, it's going to be much thinner than this Sharpie. It's going to be blue, not red. And it's going to be maybe a little bit inky, but it's going to be drier than this Sharpie looks. It's going to look completely different. That's what the different authors of Scripture are like. Um, some were like the red Sharpie. Some were like the blue pen. Some are like a number two pencil. They're all different. They all have their different personalities. Those personalities come out in what they wrote. Some were very educated, like Paul. Some were fishermen, like Peter. Some loved music and poetry and wrote things like Psalms and Proverbs. Some were very factional, like Luke, the doctor, and wrote things very historically. Some were very detail-oriented and wrote down genealogies and kept track of numbers of people and censuses and, and things like that. These people are all different with their different personalities. Some like red Sharpies, some like blue pens, some like number two pencils. But God was the one who, through the Holy Spirit, who held each writer in his hand. He held each writing utensil in his hand to write the truth of the word of God as he saw fit. This is why the Bible is so varied, written by so many different people over thousands of years. But it was the Holy Spirit who picked up each person and wrote through them the very oracles of God. Friends, when you read the Bible, it is not just a person's opinion. It is the very word of God. This is why the science of text criticism is so important. Why we work so hard to discover what the original manuscripts wrote, and we are confident in 99.9% .9 of the Bible that it is, it is what the original author wrote, and nothing that is a major tenant of the Bible is, is in dispute. All the major tenets of the Bible are agreed upon and are clear. It is the very word of God. This is why we cannot just take the word of God and make it say whatever we want to say. Peter was dealing with this. This is why in chapter 2 in verse 1, we'll see chapter 2 next week, but he said, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. There were people there who were not saying, oh, the, what the prophets wrote, that's not really from God. No, they were saying that's from God. The problem was they were twisting it. They were making it say whatever they wanted it to say. And Peter's saying, don't do that. We, what is the application? We need to come before the word of God with humility and with diligence is reading the word of God and seeking to understand these precious and great promises a priority for you. Peter is reminding you, saying, please, please, please pick up your Bible and read. Please, please, please study the great promises of God. Please don't just settle for the fact that you're a Christian and that you believed in Jesus from years ago. Are you living in these promises of God and are you incorporating them into your daily life? 
Brothers, this is, I know how easy it is. We can, we can say, oh, reading the Bible, oh, man, that's such a chore. Man, I don't like reading the Bible. I like singing. I, I like dancing for the Lord. I like going on mission trips. Man, I don't like sitting down and just reading. Oh, man, every time I, I get started, I like Genesis, exciting, Exodus, exciting, then I hit Leviticus. Oh, man, wait till next year, then we start the Bible reading again. I, I get that. I understand that. But Peter is saying, pick up and read. It is too important not to. Warren Wiersbe, the um, Christian, prolific Christian author, he said this, what a precious treasure is the word of God. It is like a deep mine filled with gold, silver, and precious gems, and we must take time to dig for these treasures. A mere surface reading of scripture will not put spiritual treasure in our hearts. Mining treasure is hard work, but it is joyful work when we mine the Bible as the Spirit guides us into truth. Man, I love that quote. It is hard work, but it is work that we do that, that is so important because it's treasure. It's got treasure in it. You know, people, people gave their lives to, to translate the Bible from the ancient Greek and Hebrew, ancient Aramaic and Ugaritic, these ancient languages to translate them into English, into languages that we can understand now because they knew how important the word of God was. And for us, if we just sit down with a superficial reading and we just we say, oh, you know, I'll read it once in a while, we're not going to get to that treasure, brothers and sisters. And that treasure is the key to experiencing divine power to live a godly life. Is there anybody here, you're sitting there and go, why is it so hard for me to be godly? Why is it so tough for me to escape the corruption of, of sin? Ask yourself this. Maybe if, if you're not feeding yourself with a rich diet of the word of God, you're not sitting before it humbly to explore and put into practice these great and precious promises of God, there's your answer. That's your answer. It may not be the answer that you want to hear because we want to hear something like, I just got to go to a retreat and that'll do it for me. I just got to go pick up a good Christian author with an exciting book and that'll revive my heart. Yeah, those things are all good. They can do something. But those are supplements. They can never replace the word of God. This is why we do a daily Bible reading in our church. If you're having a tough time getting into the word of God, join us on morning prayer Wednesdays. We spend 20 minutes reading the daily Bible reading for the day. You don't need to catch up. Don't worry. I know some of you are very, very, you know, very like type A person. Well, I can't start now. I got to catch up through Genesis and all the kind of, forget that. Just join us and jump in where we are. Just get into the word of God. And just go from there. You have full permission. I forgive you of your sins of not reading. Te absolvo. You're good. Just start reading. Just start reading. And get this diet of the word of God into your life. Oftentimes when I read the Bible, I, I start off my time praying this prayer in Psalm 119, verse 18. I pray, God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I change it. I say, open my eyes, God, that I may behold wonderful things in your word. 
That's what I pray. I need you, God, to help me to see, to mine, to be able to find the gold and the silver and the precious jewels that are here. Because, man, I need power. I need divine power. I need strength. I need hope. I need your grace in my life. I'm concluding here. As I go back here to verse 19, I want to emphasize this. When Peter says about the Bible, about God's great and precious promises, you will do well to pay attention to them. You will do well. You will do well in life if you pay attention to the word of God. How? In what way? As to a lamp shining in a dark place. How does Peter tell us to, to treat the word of God? He wants us to treat it as if you are in a dark, dark place. And the, and the only light in that place is this, is this one, one light, one candle, whatever it is, one light. That's the only thing illuminating that, illuminating that place. The only thing keeping you from tripping as you're walking, from bumping your head, bumping your knees, from falling and hurting yourself is this one light. That's the only thing. So you pay attention to that light. You covet that light. Imagine you're, you're in a, you're, it's at night and the power goes out and you got nothing but one candle. You got one candle. You got one match. What does everybody in your house do? You light that one candle and you all huddle around that one candle, right? Because there's no light anywhere else. You can't see nothing. You all huddle around that one candle. And you, you protect that candle, man. You protect it from any wind, man. You're like, don't fart near here. Go to the corner. We got to keep this candle lit. This is our only source of light that we have here. That's what Peter is saying, man. This is it. Like in a dark place. This is your only light, the word of God. It is the truth of God shining in our dark world that is filled with lies and deceit and the current of the world pulling us away from God. This is your flashlight. Do you use it? If you don't, you're stumbling around and groping in the dark trying to find your way. And you wonder, why is it so hard to live for God? Why am I struggling? Why don't I feel any desire or passion? This is why Peter says, I'm going to remind you again and again and again. And we will remind you in this church again and again and again. You just can't live Christian life without taking the Bible seriously. It's just not going to happen. And maybe that's what some of us need to hear today. Full stop. It's not going to happen. You're not going to become passionate for God and make it to the end of this race without it. You just won't. And things aren't going to start changing in your life until you begin to treat God's promises as precious and very great. Brothers and sisters, do you need encouragement that the day really is going to dawn, that Jesus will return and he will make this darkness into an eternal light, the light of his presence. Do you need encouragement for that? Then go to the word of God. Go before it humbly, with diligence, with hunger. 
because it is there to encourage you as your light. Do you need to be encouraged at fighting for virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly and affection and love is actually worth it? Then go to the word of God. Do you need to encouragement to be reminded that Jesus is really worth surrendering even our very lives for? Then we need to go to the word of God. These are the very words of God. And as Paul said, and I close with this in Romans 15, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I want to invite the worship team up at this time. Do you need hope, brothers and sisters? Do you need hope for your marriage? Go to the word of God. Do you need hope when you go into your workplace? Go to the word of God. Do you need hope that you are going to overcome that stronghold of sin in your life? Go to the word of God. The word of God lived out is our access to divine power. Please stand with me as we pray and we enter into response, uh, responsive worship. God, we thank you that your word reminds us of these truths again and again and again. We thank you that Peter, he didn't even know how much he was going to be able to remind us again and again and again. I don't even think he knew that his words would become scripture and that he would remind us throughout the ages, throughout generations, that the word of God is our very breath. It is our life. It is our source of power. Through it, we have everything that we need for life and godliness.